0: Our lesson this evening is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, reading from verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air they do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you much more valuable are you not much more valuable than they who of you can by worrying can add a single hour to his life and why do you worry about clothes see how the lilies of the field grow they do not labor or spin and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter.
1: Worry is the chief enemy of health, especially in the so called developed nations. Also, I once heard on the radio, I think. And my hunch is that that will resonate with many of us uh, this evening, our own experience. We have to say there are many reasons to worry. I was reading a Christian theologian and sort of counselor on this, and he made the point that if we're to sort of be healthy in this aspect, then we have to first be honest. And he said there are many reasons to worry. Of course that's right. And there'll be people in the building this evening who will be worried about upcoming exams, I take it. Uh, There'll be some who'll be worried about the state of their marriage, the state of their children, the security of their job, uh, the security of their pension, the health, the health of a loved one. There are many reasons to worry. As one preacher put it, we are all assailed by present pressures and future fears. And in that same uh, piece on the radio, uh, the person went on to say this there cannot be a more pointless piece of advice than don't worry. For we have no control over our worries. In fact, they just sit there somewhere in the subconscious, eating away at our peace of mind like a mouse nibbling cheese. And I think he would speak for many. And when he says that, there are many, I think, who would say, well, you know, anxiety, worry, they are just part and parcel of what it is to be human. They're just part of the human experience. Striking, isn't it, that Jesus isn't one of them? which is both a challenge to me and an encouragement. It's a challenge to me because these words in Matthew 6, and if you've closed your Bibles, you might want to open them up again at uh, page 971. We'll get you back to these words of Jesus in Matthew 6. These words of Jesus, they both challenge me in that they say to me, Paul, you can address your anxieties and your worries. Indeed, you should address your anxieties and your worries. They're a challenge to me. But supremely, they're a comfort to me. They're an encouragement to me. Because he says, you can. These present pressures and future fears do not have authority over you. There is a way, uh, with all the pressures you face and, and the things on your horizon, there is a way to... Not to bury your head in the sand, but to engage with them, to tackle them, to live through them in a way that doesn't necessarily lead to that anxiety we all know and have all experienced. Jesus speaks to us this evening with powerful, life-changing, liberating words to truly comfort hearts living with present pressure and future fears. And the sense is, as this Christian counselor went on to say in this book that I read, while we have many reasons to worry, we have many far better reasons not to worry. While we have many reasons to worry, we have many far better reasons not to worry. What Jesus wants to do in uh, in this passage, I think, is give us the antidote to worry. Now, we need to be careful right off the bat. What do we mean by worry? What do we mean here? The language, of course, is of anxiety. So Jesus isn't talking about here right responsible sort of concerns. You know, the Bible commends wise planning. It gives us instructions for life. Of course, we're to care for uh, our children and how they're doing and our own you know, lives and jobs. Of course, the Bible never encourages us to adapt some kind of laissez-faire attitude to life, a sort of que Sarah sera. What Jesus is talking about here is that kind of anxiety that we've all experienced that keeps you up at night, you know, that, that, that sense of nausea in the pit of the stomach, that sense of not being able to settle on anything, because our mind simply will not leave this present pressure or this future fear that, that, that is gripping our mind at that time. It has, you know, in cases it has physiological effects. You know, it's the thing that leads to the ulcers and the, uh, you know, whatever, the headaches and, the, and the whatever else it might be. That's what Jesus is tackling here. And his focus, and I want us to see this straight away, do we see his focus is not so much on the external circumstances as they are uh, on our internal convictions when we're facing those external circumstances. Consider, Jesus says, think, weigh up, reason, consider. Jesus' agenda here then is far more radical than changing whatever external circumstance is putting a particular pressure or fear on us. Now, he might change them as we pray, and of course we're called to do that. As we pray about these things, we lay them before the Lord, he might change the external circumstances. He might take things that we're worried about away from us in his grace. He might well do that. But sometimes he won't. And actually, in a sense, the more profound work that he really wants to work here in these words is to change our hearts. He homes in on our hearts. He wants to transform our hearts so that whenever we're faced with a pressure or a future fear, we no longer respond to that circumstance with this kind of anxiety, but with a certain peace. Because I think Jesus knows that ultimately, anxiety is not something that's imposed from without, anxiety is always born from within yes in response to something but ultimately it's born from within and if it's born from within then we can we can tackle it we can do something about it change the heart change the life the antidote what is the antidote is to remember two things. Here's the first. If we have the first slide, that'll be super. Thank you. Jesus says this, Remember what is really significant in life, and that's verse 25. Isn't it? Have a look down if you've got to the Bibles open. Uh, Jesus says uh, this, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than Than clothes. Do you see his point? Jesus makes it, it's a simple point, but it's a challenging one, isn't it? Isn't he saying this, that we worry sometimes, so often we worry when we invest too much in what is not ultimately significant. Isn't that what he's saying in verse 25? I think so. He's saying, look life. So, so, so much of what we worry about is, is when these things that we think give us life are jeopardized. We, we worry about what we eat, what we wear. And he's saying that life is, is so much more than what we eat, what we wear, where we live, where we work, what's in the bank. And that's always going to be a challenge to us, friends, isn't it? Because, of course, that is the polar opposite to the world. We live in a culture that says, actually, those things are exactly what life is about. I mean, the whole point is, you get the Saturday, the Sunday newspaper, and you open it up, and you find you've got about 10 pages of news, and you've got about 100 pages of supplements, haven't you? If anything, like the weekend paper I get, it is. And you get precisely this view that life is to be found in all of these things, in the travel supplement. Life is to be found in visiting new and strange and exotic places. Or the money section, life to be found in your pension plan or your current whatever it is. The housing section, life to be found in having a better house or whatever it might be. The health section, having the perfect body. Uh, The job section, having the perfect job. The school section, sending your kids to the perfect school. And so it goes on. Isn't that that what the culture is saying? That's why they pull those supplements in. They're selling us life. And our world runs after them because... It believes that's where life is to be found. Jesus uses those very striking words, doesn't he? He talks about pagans, which is sort of Bible language for non-Christians. He uses the language of runs after them. Isn't that evocative? Just think about that language. Just picture it in your mind. He's saying people run after these things, thinking that that's where life is to be found with all the obsessions and fears and anxieties and pressures and disappointments that the language of running after suggests. Jesus says, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, I have come that you may have life, and life in all its fullness in John 10. And what is the life he brings? A little bit later on in John 17, he says this, Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, he's saying there is a life that God gives, not that we create, not that we grasp, not that we invent or build. There is a life that God gives, which is so much better than the life that so often we worry ourselves sick trying to create. There's another story playing out in our world. It's a bigger story, a better story. It's God's story, and we can be a part of it. And when you become a part of it, you enter a new kingdom with new priorities. You get given a new life. You get given new identity and meaning and satisfaction and freedom. You get given a new life. A way of life that will not worry you sick to create because it's God-given. How much of our worry flows from running after the things that the world values, seeking life where the world seeks it, thinking, I need this, whatever this is, X, I need this to live. And either that is hard to get or it is threatened. And so we worry because we've invested so much in it. How often do we forfeit peace because we tie it to something that's passing away? So says Jesus, verse 31, are you still with me? Verse 31, do not worry, he says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So yes, of course, he knows that we need them. And one of the ways he gives us these things is through work, for instance. So yes, we should work. Yes, we should use our brains to plan and think about how much we need to feed our family or whatever it might be and how much I'm going to need to look after myself in my old age. Yes, of course that's right. Your father knows you need these things. We're we're physical creatures. We need these things. But we never lose sight that our life is about more than these things. That's the point. That, That life actually doesn't flow from those things. The giver is greater than the gifts. Life is found in Christ and therefore our earthly circumstances don't jeopardize it. And in some ways, that's a simple truth, but actually, yeah, it's as simple as that, but it's also as difficult as that, isn't it? It's as simple as that, but it's as difficult as that. It's a simple truth, but actually taking that truth from the, the head to the heart and living it out. So we'll worry uh, when we forget, when we lose sight of what's really significant in life. And secondly, we'll worry when we lose sight of who is really in charge of life, and that's the second point. We'll worry when we lose sight of who is really in charge in life. Isn't that Jesus' point in verses 26 to 30? Let's have a look. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, Was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. That's the key phrase, isn't it? He's saying, actually, that kind of anxiety that we've spoken about, that kind of worry, is a type of faithlessness. It happens when, when the people and the pressures and the problems in our world become big and God becomes small. When they're all that we can see, when they fill the horizon and God shrinks to a point, that's when we'll worry. And I wanted to break this down a little bit as I was thinking about this. Three things came to mind. Specifically, I think, we'll worry when first, if we could have the sort of sub-point. Thank you. Thank you. When we have too high a view of our circumstances. In other words, when we think that they are in charge, as one writer put it, worry always has an inner logic. In other words, we worry when we think that our life depends on a particular circumstance, that that thing holds its life in our hands. Why do year 13 students worry and worry to the point of illness and worry to the point of getting no sleep before their A-levels? Why do undergrads worry to the point of illness, no sleep, and whatever else it might be, before they sit their finals? Isn't it because the inner logic is working like this? You know what, if I don't get these, my, my my life is on the line here. My life is on the line here. If I do not get these A's, I will not get into this college. And if I don't get into this college, uh, you know, my identity as being that kind of person is threatened. And so is the kind of job I want. And if I don't get that job with that salary and this and that, then my it's because we think that our life is, is, is held by those exam grades. Now, if you are about to sit your A-levels, let me say um, God has given you a brain. So do use it. This is, not a, this is not to be taken as an excuse. Or, you know, the vicar says we really don't need to worry about it. And uh, just do whatever. Yeah, God has given us the brains. We use them. We work hard, study, do the best we can. Of course that's right. But if it starts tipping into, I'm making myself ill over this. I'm not sleeping over this. Then we have to ask ourselves the question, have I invested too much in this? Am I looking for my life in this, my identity, my meaning in this? And if that is the case, then I would suggest God has wandered from view. Of course, it's the same in so many other situations. Why do we worry so much for a job interview? Now, of course, it's natural to worry a bit. Again, if God has given us gifts, we want to use them as best we can, and maybe this promotion is the way to do that. There is a a right sense of preparing for an interview, being a little bit nervous before it. But again, if it gets to the point where we are making ourselves ill over it, might it be because we think, my life is hanging in the balance here if I don't get this job. I think that's so often the case. So often the case we'll worry when we have too high a view of our circumstances. We think they are in charge. Secondly, we'll worry when we have too high a view of ourselves, when we think we're in charge. You know, life isn't in our circumstances' hands, and you know what? It's not in our hands either much of the time. How much worry flows from thinking that we are the God of our lives? Go back to that Christian uh, counselor I was reading. He was saying this, and it really resonated with me. How much of our worry comes from thinking, you know, if I just raise my kids right, they'll be fine later on. There um, there must be a way, you know, if I just raise them right, if I just work out how to raise them, if I do this catechism, if I, you know, take them to this church and, you know, give them this background, do a little bit of extra tuition, if I do this, yeah, they'll come out as 18-year-olds, you know, absolutely or if I just make the right investments, you know, I haven't got a lot, but if I just make the right investments, you know, if I invest in this and if I'm clever and if I read this supplement and I'm, you know, I can make sure the pension is, is right. If I can just get to the right university, you know, then, you know, that'll be right. That, that's the university. If I can just buy the right house, if I can just marry the right person, uh, I can nail it, life. You know, I can get... Now, God calls us to act responsibly, but he then says, rest in my sovereignty. One preacher said this, how often does anxiety arise when we try and control the uncontrollable? Running around trying to control all circumstances by thinking, worrying, and willing them to turn out a certain way, when in fact we're far from totally in control. Jesus says, doesn't he, verse 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Who of you by worrying can do that? There are some things we're just not in control of, the hours of our life being one. But there are many others. Paul Miller, who read a lovely book on prayer, said this Anxiety wants to be God, but lacks God's wisdom, power, or knowledge. A godlike stance without godlike character and ability is pure tension. Isn't that good? Anxiety wants to be God. But lacks God's wisdom, power, or knowledge. A godlike stance without godlike character and the ability is pure tension. I was thinking about this for myself, and I was thinking, "Does this? How does this resonate with me?" And um, it struck me actually. It, it, it does. There, was, there have been periods uh, since I've been here, in particular, where I have um, been hugely anxious. Been hugely anxious the point at which New Philippa has noticed, and I've um, been really worried after having spoken to somebody about something. Um, you know, have I said the right thing? This was, quite a, this was quite a delicate situation, and someone's come to me and said something, and I've, you know, I wasn't sure what to say. Actually, I can think of several instances where that's happened. I can also think of several where before I've had the meeting, before I've made the phone call, I know it's going to be quite a, a delicate issue or a pastoral issue, and I've, and I've thought, I'm getting really worried. I'm not absolutely sure what to say. What if I say the wrong thing? And and I I can think of one instance where I really came pretty close to a panic attack before making a phone call to someone because I just... And as I thought about this, it seemed to me I suddenly thought, yes, you know what? I think behind that was the view that I was God in the sense that I sort of thought, if I don't get this absolute... It's my responsibility to get this absolutely Right? And it's all hanging on me. And whatever it is I say to this person is going to completely change their life forever. And if I don't get this absolutely right, then their life is going to fall apart. You know, I had that sort of, that, it is, I can, I can see it now, that, that slight sense of, I'm, I'm far too high a view of myself. Now, again, don't mishear me. I, you know, it's good to be thoughtful before we speak to people. And I can tell you, I do pray and think and before I speak to people. Uh, there's a right sense of you know, being rightly th- concerned that I'm saying the right thing. Of course that's right. But there have definitely been times when that has spilled over into having actually far too high a view of myself and the words that I'm going to give to the point that it was paralyzing me. I couldn't speak. I think at times like that it's been uh, because I've had too high a view of myself. We worry when we have too high a view of our circumstances. We worry when we have too high a view of ourselves. And thirdly, finally, we worry when we have too low a view of God's control and care. Isn't that Jesus' point here? Consider the lilies. Consider the ravens: if he feeds the birds adorns the earth, would he not take care of his children? Do we sometimes have far too low a view of God's control and care? Are we almost at times functional atheists? I think of that passage in Romans 8:32, where Paul says this, "He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things?" You know, the God who gives up his son for us is going to provide for us and look after us in good ways. So when we're concerned about God's care, we look to the cross. That's the point, isn't it? So, says Jesus, do not stress, but rather seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, verse 33, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, seek after what is significant. Seek after who is significant. Commit to God's story wholeheartedly. Throw yourself in. Don't spectate on the sidelines and you will discover a God-given, God-shaped life far greater than the ones we're trying to construct and worrying ourselves sick about trying to construct. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything you need to do that which God is calling you to, to have that life, God will provide. I was struck by a survey it was done, I think, in America with very senior elderly Christians in their sort of 80s and 90s. And the survey asked them what their top three regrets in life were. Top three regrets in life. Here's the first. They wished they'd have taken more risks. By which they meant sort of in terms of seeking first his kingdom. They'd been very cautious, very careful, made sure that they had the house and the job, and really careful getting to 1890 and seeing the way the Lord had provided, seeing what actually gave them satisfaction in life, the number one thing that came up, they, they said, was we wish we'd actually taken more risks. <laughs> I thought it was very interesting. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I want us to close by... Uh, Just taking a moment, maybe closing our eyes. I just want us to bring to mind, each and every one of us, I want us to bring to mind perhaps a present pressure or a future fear that is causing us some anxiety or perhaps has the potential to cause us some anxiety. Something on your heart, on your mind that you know is just beginning to grip the heart in a bad way. Um, Yeah, I don't know what that might be, but just... Call that to mind. Name it in your heart, in your mind. And just think about what it is that is causing anxiety. Why it's making you feel that way. And then I want us just to speak these words into our hearts. They're the words of Jesus. Do not be anxious. This present pressure, this future fear, does not hold my life in its hands. It is not in charge. I am not in charge. Rather, my life is safe and secure in the hands of the living God who loves me like a perfect father. Amen.